and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. On this episode, we're joined by Steve Rawlinson, founder and group CEO of recruitment company Samuel Knight International. In less than 10 years, Steve has grown the business from startup to 35 million annual revenue, becoming a renewable specialist, placing candidates all around the world. We talk about everything from organic scale to institutional investment, the value of recruiting high performers and the impact of being fearless on the scale of a business. Well, welcome, Steve. We are pleased that you're joining us today. Um, and just for the listeners, for a little bit of an intro into you, I wanted to ask you, if we start with your highlights and we made you pick three from your journey so far, what would they be? Good question. Um, having the bollocks to set up on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> We've sworn out the gate, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, having the balls to set up on my own, that was obviously a hard thing to do from walking away from a career that I'd built for 10 years and got to like director level in a big corporate and then saying, I'm going to walk away from it all and not pay myself for two years and set up a business off the back of an idea. So that's definitely number one. Um, Number two would probably be how hard it's been. That's been a highlight because you learn, you learn a lot. So I didn't want it easy. I could have took seed investment from a pretty su- successful entrepreneur, James Carney, and I, yeah. I didn't want that because I thought, well, he won't give me that exposure to like grow as a leader and grow as an entrepreneur. So I've, I have liked the adversity and the stress that Samuel Knight's brought. That might sound a bit weird, but it's made me a better leader. It's made me a better entrepreneur and I'm a lot more like grounded now. And I know that it doesn't matter what gets thrown at me. Um, we'll be absolutely fine and we'll just keep scaling. And then the third one would probably be, I grew the business um, in year three, like substantially, and I was going to run out of cash. And I remember it being the 22nd of December and my um, bank, ABN, phoning me up and saying, we need you to come down to London to meet with us. It's a funny story, this. And uh, so I was like, well, it's Christmas in like five days. And they're like, we don't care, you need to come down. So I went down, met with them. And I'm like, I thought this was going to be a really good meeting. And I was sitting there and they said, right, Steve, so we've had a look over your management accounts and things look like they're going quite good. And I was like, yeah, 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 they are. And they went, right, well, you're not getting paid. And I was like, well, you're on about we're not getting paid. And they went, well, you've just focused on sales and you've got no infrastructure at the back. And I was like, right. And they went, so your average payment terms are 150 days. And I was going, shut up, man, are they really? <laughs> I'm not joking. And they were like, well, who's doing your invoicing? And I was like, well, I'm outsourcing it to this company. And they were like, well, they're not doing it properly. And um, so I was like, oh, shit. And they were like, oh, you're potentially going to go bust here. And they were going to pull my um, debt facility from me. Because obviously we use a, a factory at the time to grow. And uh, I remember sitting there and thinking, oh my God, if they pull my debt facility off me, the business is going to go bust. 30 people are going to lose the job. So I remember turning around and remembering who I am and where I'm from. And, and I just went, well, I tell you what it is. I said, if you do that, I'm just going to set up tomorrow because you've got no personal guarantee on me. And uh, they were like, what do you mean we haven't got a personal guarantee? They went and checked the account. They came back and they were like, oh my God, we only have a 40 grand personal guarantee on this guy. And I was owed three and a half million quid. So I said, well, I'm the only person who knows where that money is. So I know I can go and get it. 
they, they gave me three months to build a finance team and to strengthen the the finance function of the business. And I did. I did that. I hired some amazing people. And I think within six months of that three and a half million quid, I think we pulled in about 3.3 million of it. So I was like, that was a pretty good highlight. I guess the fourth one would be raising institutional investment as well, not knowing anything about like private equity or institutional investment. Yeah. And um, going away and reading a book, Dummies for Finance or something like that, yeah. and then literally putting myself in a position where I pretty much just chased every entrepreneur in the Northeast to understand like what this institutional investment, what it was. I just ended up meeting this guy called Paul Kaiser and he was like, okay, well, I'm not going to see you and because uh, your business isn't ready. So I chased this other entrepreneur who had a successful business and he said, oh, you need to, you know, I'll introduce you to this chap. He's really good. He's called Paul Kaiser. So a week later, I went back to Paul Kaiser and he was like, mate, you were here a week ago and I told you don't cut, um, you're not ready. And I was like, well, I am ready because he's introduced me. And uh, and then he helped me build a business plan. And a year later, you know, we uh, managed to do a deal with Gresham, which, you know, gives us substantial value three and a half, four years in. I think we were valued at about 11 million quid. And I was just like, what the hell is that even possible? It's crazy. Well, he's, he's definitely demonstrating misbehave uh off straight off the belt where we're, we're talking about you know i love that like tenacity piece and mm-hmm. and also you know the your patterns lend itself very much to sales mm-hmm. action for buyers diving in getting things done having a goal and being very sort of focused around like being able to juggle lots of things yeah. but as a result and the, the listeners will resonate with this some of them where as a result you're so busy chasing that that sometimes that more operational infrastructure can get left behind. No, I totally agree. And, you know, you then, or, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yep. So for you, you're every faith that people are going to pay you yep. because it's kind of, you know, it's... I've done a job. Yeah, I've done a job. They're going to yeah. pay me. And, but, you know, that infrastructure piece, the the detail, the process, that's that doesn't lend itself to, you wouldn't naturally think of that. Now, no. and then having to go and learn that stuff and find good people who can do it. And then, I mean, you were outsourcing it with, with faith, I, I imagine, but it's holding the accountability, isn't it? And really, you don't have to manage all the aspects of that in your business, but you do need to hold people accountable to do it right. I agree. And I think that's such a good lesson for, for people to listen to that you play to your strengths, but when you first start, it means that you will only focus on your strengths because that's the stuff you're good at. That's the stuff you gravitate well, towards. Well, was never supposed to be a big company. My kind of aspirations, people go, oh my God, Samuel Knight's this, Samuel Knight's that. Like I remember leaving Michael Page and thinking, I don't want to work for this big corporate anymore because they're just not flexible and adaptable for my market sector. They weren't a good company. They just weren't right for my market. And I thought, right, I'll just be me and 10 people and I'll just bill £3 million a year. I'll have 10 resources and I'll just build a good company with a good culture and just keep it quite small. But never ended up being that. And um, so that, that kind of strength was, well... I know I, I know I can send an invoice because I just have to go onto a system, write an invoice and send it to the client. But then when it started scaling, I was like, oh, I'm too busy because I'm doing the sales, sales, sales. So I'm like a striker and I like, shit, I need a goalkeeper here. Someone help me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I don't really know how to manage a finance person. I've never hired a finance person. Oh, I just, oh, I just Google And I remember Googling <laughs> outsource finance and this company called Gemini, the Genesis were just like, uh, oh, yeah, we'll do it for you and we'll charge you this small fee. And I was like, oh, grand, great. And then obviously I just went, right, there you go, just deal with that. Yeah. And it's interesting because the finance element, their, their dominant behaviours, stuff that actually if you were going to go and recruit one of those people to come work in your business, are so opposite to yours. You'd want someone who's more challenge focused, who's more looking at risk, who's less sort of 
had less has an action a bias action yeah. actually somebody who's more considered more methodical more detailed and it's the total opposite to you which is what you needed but actually that's the interesting thing with entrepreneurs if we we often just want to surround ourselves with people like us because it's more exciting yeah. to be with and you've got to be really purposeful about that team that you build Talk a little bit about, obviously, you're in the business of recruitment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you built that initial team and at what point you sort of realise that this is going to be bigger than I set out to make this. Okay, well, I misbehaved because <laughs> I took my team from Michael Page with oh, me. Oh, God. <laughs> and got sued. And got um, sued, yes. So, I, I, obviously, I was working at Michael Page. I had a team of about six people working for me. And uh, it's just like, look, guys, I'm thinking about setting up on my own. Do you work for Michael Page or do you work with me? And uh, I've always been that kind of leader where you don't work with you don't work for me, you work with me and we're going to build something. And they were like, oh, well, we work with you, Steve. And I was like, right, well, I'm going to set up something and uh, I want you to come with me. So gradually, like, I can talk about this now because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it's so long ago, but made a couple redundant, fired two people. One of them left and was moving back to South Africa. It was obviously all bullshit that they were coming to Samuel Knight and we were all sitting in an office up in the city quadrant and I'm going back and forward between Samuel Knight and Michael Page. And I'm just like, this is fucking crazy, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that the initial team I took from Michael Page, but look, you know, at the time, I remember Michael Page putting a Tomlin order on me, and I think I got sued for about 50 grand. And I was just like, oh, this is, I don't need this from like day one. And uh, I remember we were all sitting in City Quadrant, and this small little team that had worked with me for about two years. And uh, we all got served papers, and they were like, right, you've broken all your restrictions, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, I just ignore it, it'll go away. And uh, yeah, it didn't go away. And uh, <laughs> I got sued. But that's how I built the initial team. Out of that team, you know, none of them people are with me now, but they all played a part in the, the story of Samuel Knight and yeah. I respect all of them. And some of them, have, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, some of the, their careers where they've now got their own businesses, I've I've played a part in that. Um, so that first initial team was that. And then after a year, I thought, you know, I need to hire some better people, people who, are, you know, could potentially be better than me. So, yeah, I mean, you know, by year one, I think we only had about 10 staff. And then obviously we didn't really have any marketing or anything. It was just, I mean, I look back at some of my emails, some of the decks that we used to send out to clients and I'm like, oh my God, that actually won us work. <laughs> but that's a good, that's a great example. And we'll come back. I, mean, I want to circle back to something on the being sued thing that we talked about yeah. around actually the pivot point in the business at that point and where you then, how you worked around that. But I think that note on the marketing piece is so interesting because you see entrepreneurs and business leaders spend so much money initially on perfecting the sale, perfecting the marketing, perfecting the product even to a point where it's like, sometimes you just got to sell it and you've got to let it evolve. Yeah, no, I didn't and do that. And then you've got to sort of just let that happen. And that actually, when you do that, sometimes the success that comes from it, I think there's a lesson there for people who are maybe sweating the the perfection of it. We and actually, you've just got to get out and sell it. We didn't have marketing yeah. until, what, um, probably three or four years in. Uh, look, I'm an activist. So like, yeah. I don't sit there and think about things. It's like, right guys, this is what we're going to do. We know. There's, there's, <laughs> 50, there's, there's 50 companies. <laughs> I'm going to ring all 50 companies. I'm going to open up the doors. I'm going to win some work. And then when I pull that work in, you're going to deliver to that. And this is what we're going to do. The content that we put out on LinkedIn, you know, it's just, just build your own personal brand. And let's yeah. talk about Samuel Knight being a subject matter expert. One thing that I did do is I didn't make Samuel Knight look like it was a startup from day one. I made it look like it had always been there. So I, I just kind of sneaked in the back door on my market. No one, no one really thought, 
oh, this is a new company. When we were ringing companies, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, hi, I'm Steve from Sam Unite. We're a brand new company. It was like, no, 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 no. I'm Steve. I'm from Sam Unite. This is what we do. We've been around for ages. We've got 40 years industry experience collectively across the market sector. Sold them the dream, basically. And, and that was it. You know, we were winning work straight away. And obviously, it helped that I'd been in the industry for 10 years. You know, it wasn't like I'd left my job and left what I'd been successful, pretty well. In fact, I'd been really successful in recruitment in the energy market. So obviously, I'd done that for 10 years. So my client strategy was just to do what I've been doing throughout the last 10 years. That's made me, you know, successful for other people. Do that now for myself. And talk a little bit about that pivot point of the getting sued and sort of what happened from there. Oh, they did me a massive favour. They did me a huge favour because obviously the Tomlin order said that I couldn't actually work with any clients that I'd worked with over my 10-year career for nine months. So I was like, oh... Well, I've pretty much sold everything. I've left my job. Like this has to work because if it doesn't work, no one in the Northeast is going to employ me. Like I've literally, once you break that cycle of working for corporates and going, no, I'm going to do it on my own. The business, the CEOs, of these corporates always think that you're going to do that again. So I knew I had to make it work. So I changed the hours of work where originally I was like, look, we'll build a good culture. We'll do nine till five. We'll just sell, 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 sell. And we'll build this great business. Uh, it was kind of like, right, guys, we're starting at four o'clock in the morning now and we're going to focus on the Middle East market sector. And that no, no one questioned that. They were just like, right, okay, let's crack on. So, um, yeah, we, we literally, as, as the um, name says on the tin, it was Samuel Knight International because we didn't do any work in the Northeast. We literally just went international from day one. I think within, you know, eight weeks, we were working with two of the biggest energy companies in the world in the Middle East. And we'd won a massive project in Egypt and it just pivoted the company and took it to another level. So Michael Page actually did me a favor by saying, right, you can't work in your market for the next nine months. And we never went in back to that market either. Yeah. Like them clients that I worked with, throughout my career before Samuel Knight, I don't think we work with any of them. It's a great example of a pivot, which is Mm -hmm. um, through forced change, where you didn't choose it. But we often say that forced change can be such a great way of pushing people almost off off the ledge to go and do something they maybe wouldn't have done Mm -hmm. before, particularly during startup stage or the need for diversification. We've seen a lot of that post-COVID. But your patterns, you've definitely got a massive dollop of, um, it's called difference, but it means you you aren't you don't just have an appetite for change you 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 like to be a disruptor yep. in the marketplace and you can hear just so everything you're talking about I mean that change you made it sound so so easy we just went to the Middle East you know and, and just started waiting at 4 a.m yeah just gone went and got two of the I biggest think, I, think, I think you can just you can overanalyze things and you can overthink things and there is people who do that but you know I, I think from me I'm not afraid of adversity. I'm not afraid of change. I think change betters you, change improves you, change escalates you to and elevates you to another level. So, you know, sitting there and going, oh, let's just go to the Middle East. I know I make it sound easy because it is easy. You're literally in my market. You need a phone. You need a mouth. You need knowledge. You need skills. And you've got to have a high level of emotional intelligence so you know who you're talking to and you know, like, how to find that right solution for them. And everything else, you can overanalyze and overthink that, but you just, you know, I think you just go for it. It's that said, because that that disruptor piece and that speed, you will feel really fast-paced. You do feel fast-paced, but yeah. for what is that like for your team to work with? Where has that potentially caused you challenges with, with the people around you who are different? Well, not so much now, because obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot... Of staff now in the business so they don't necessarily report into me i've got like four people who report into me and that no five people sorry in there the cfo the fd and the three mds i don't have the sales people reporting into me now but at the start 
Well, obviously not everyone wanted work at my speed, so it was kind of like, wow, you can just never stop. At the time when I first set Sammy and I up, you know, I think I was doing like maybe 16 hours a day, 17 hours a day, and trying to keep up with somebody that's just got this big audacious goal and this vision of let's just go. In all fairness, they came with me, but we probably grew a little bit too quick mm -hmm. at the start, and that puts strain and pressure on, on individuals and on the business. So... I would say mentally, it probably had a strain on a few of the people that were there at the start. Hence the reason the guys who are starting the business probably aren't there now. And then it put a strain on the business as well, because obviously, you know, cash, growth sucks cash. And if you're waiting for your cash to come in from your clients and you're still growing and growing and growing and growing, it's kind of like, well, you need to slow down a little bit. I think as I've got older and mature in Samuel Knight, and Samuel Knight's matured me and matured the, the other founding team members that have been in the business a long time. You do kind of slow down a little bit. You become a little bit more risk adverse. You take calculated risks. You slow down a little bit and you analyze things a little bit more because at the start, you don't really have anything to lose. So that's why <laughs> you're going, that's why you're going guns all blazing because you're like, fuck it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm just going to go for it. But then actually when you have got something and more importantly, you've got people that believe in the business and their livelihood, their, you know, their mortgages and bills and family are all focused around Samuel Knight. It's not just about you then, is it? It's about like every decision I make as the CEO of Samuel Knight. If that's the wrong decision has a negative impact on the people I employ. And, you know, there's hundred odd staff now. So you do kind of slow down a little bit yeah. and you, you start thinking about things a little bit different. You don't, you don't go I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm still fast, but I've only got five people reporting into me now. So yeah. it's like, they can cope with Listen, that. Yeah, they can speaking deal with to them. two people who totally get that, <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% yeah, yeah. initiation, so we get it. But it's interesting that because I think, what have you learned? What would you say you've learned about slowing down and patience? Like, what are, do you use any particular strategies for that? Or what have you learned that started to work? Because a lot of entrepreneurs have that initiation bias for action piece and that, deliberate slowdown is often the thing that people find challenging um well it is a challenge because it's not my natural like the natural way of working for me you know I've, it's, I've always been quite quick off the mark and i've always like been full gun blazing i'm all in i never dip a toe in i'm like i'm all in or i'm not in mm -hmm. what have i learned probably the fact that I delegated responsibilities and accountabilities. So it, the business isn't just based on me anymore. At the start, obviously, it was based on me because I was the one going out there doing the sales. So based on me, sell, work quick, win work. We didn't really have any economy of scale at that point. You know, we had very little marketing. We, had, we didn't really have a back office support function. So it was, you know, get there before as competition. Hunt or be hunted, as they say. <laughs> um, but now, you know, the business has got a really good brand. It's got... We do get economy of scale. We've got a good marketing strategy. We've got amazing people in the business. So it's not a case of hunt or be hunted because clients now work with us and they've worked with us for a long time. So I've probably learned just about, there was a point where I delegated responsibility and accountability about maybe year five, year six. And that really kind of allowed me to work on the business rather mm -hmm. than in the business, which is where my, like, that's where my natural kind of um, skill lies in terms of looking at emerging markets and opening up new markets and allowing the guys that are directors of the business to kind of grow their businesses in a, in a safe way. And there's a lot of focus on, I mean, your your patterns around goal and achievement is a big piece. And mm -hmm. am I talking here about success what is what does high achievement look like for you? What is what is how do you look for that in your team? What does it feel like for you? What does achievement mean? Well, for my team, it's individuals 
scaling their own careers, you know, earning better money, their lifestyles changing and elevating themselves. Like I had that given to me in 2003 when I got into recruitment. You know, I left school with no GCSEs and came back from living in Ibiza. And next thing you know, I'm in this corporate environment and this managing director of this big corporate company gave me a chance and he changed my life. You know, so giving that back to the guys and me looking down and, and me looking at the team and seeing, you know, someone who started working at Sammy Knight five years ago, renting a house. Five years later, he's buying a half a million pound house. He's driving a nice car. He's got a nice family and he's got, you know, and he's got things in his life that maybe he wouldn't have got if he hadn't come to Sammy Knight. Any and, and the progression for these individuals. So, yeah, definitely seeing people in the team elevate and change their lives for me. I don't know. That's the honest answer. If I climb a mountain and it's big I, and I get to the top, I'm like, right, I need a bigger mountain. That's What's just... What's next? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, there's no stopping. I'm just not going to stop. I, like my dad said, I remember my old man saying to me, Jesus, son, like you're 41 and you've achieved so much. Like you've got this business that you started from nothing. Like you look at that, when does it stop? And I'm like, dad, I've not even started. Like, I, like mm-hmm. he's like, oh, and he always embarrasses me. Like, oh, son, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, oh, please don't say that, man. Like, I, I don't want that. I just want to keep going, keep going. So it's, I don't know what my, maybe one day when I'm 65, 70, I'll look back and go, oh, actually I did all right, but not until then. Do you manage to pause and enjoy the the journey? Are you always focused on the destination? I like the, the I think the journey, the, the journey is the best part of it. I don't even know what the destination is. <laughs> yeah, like I know it's, it's the journey. I know it's, it's I know it's the top of a mountain, but you know, I remember getting to 10 million and that was my goal. I was like, I want to get to 10 million. I get to 10 million. I'm like, right now I want to get to 20. And then I get to 20. I'm like, right now I want to get to this. So the, the destination, I, I don't know where the destination is. Okay. I know Just, I want it. I, I have this. I know Samuel Knight is going to be around forever. And I had this vision that if Michael Page can establish themselves in the 1960s above a laundrette in Fulham, then Samuel Knight can establish themselves in Newcastle in 2014 above a curry house and they're a billion pound company. So if they can do that and I think I'm better than them, then why can't that then why can't I do that? Um so I do think Samuel Knight will be a, a huge company. I think I'll look back and you know, 20, 30 years and go, holy shit, I, built, I, I was a part of building that with my team. And, you know, it'd be a great moment for see the business floating or, you know, hitting a valuation of a billion. I don't know whether or not I'll still be the CEO, but, you know, that would be a pretty proud moment for me. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, because, you know, a big piece that you and I talked about was the fact that most of the business you've grown organically. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the dream for most entrepreneurs, but it's not typical mm-hmm. in this day and age. So talk us through a little bit what that what that organic growth felt like and what do you think were some of the key pivot points? If we was if someone was listening to this and there was some takeaways from this, what do you think some of the key pieces of that organic growth were that helped you achieve the success that you achieved up to the point where you then looked at investment? Definitely hiring good people. Mm-hmm. That's the number one. Making sure you've got the right people in the business sitting on the right seats, believing in your vision, your mission, and they've got the same values as you. Because if if you hire good people 
and they believe in you as an individual because you've not really got anything at the start of a business, have yeah. you? They've just, they've just got you, your vision. This is what my vision is. My vision was there's going to be 10 of us sitting in an office and this is what we're going to do. We're all going to earn good money. It's not about me. It's about us. That that mentality for me has never changed from 10 staff to 100 staff and it went from 100 staff to 1,000 staff. So definitely hiring the right people and creating a, a fellowship where people believe in you mm. because if people believe in you they won't leave you it doesn't matter what how hard times are they'll know as their captain that you'll get them through that um and you'll always have their back so definitely hiring people um having a good strategy so we never diversified from our markets we always stayed true to the renewable sector and we've been offered opportunities to work in the oil and gas industry and we always say no we're not interested you know we turned down a major oil and gas contract about three years ago and it was with you know multi-millions in terms of gross profit but it would have been a short-term game and a long-term loss because it would have hurt our brand so the strategy we've never diversified from a strategy in terms of being renewable energy specialists because yeah. that is like you're a subject matter expert. You can go deep into that market and, you know, the world is obviously changing towards more um, zero carbon emissions. And then I would definitely say thirdly, you know, having making sure that you've got the right payment terms in place with your clients. Um, don't forget about your finances. Don't cash, leave a couple of million on the table. Because <laughs> cash, cash, cash is really important. Yeah. Um, you know, it, if, you, if you're not getting paid or you've not got the right finance person in place, it could have a it could have a, a negative impact on your business. If, if I was to start Samyunite again, there's two things that I would do differently. The first one would be to develop a learning and development function very quickly. And the second one would be to, at the same time, I would do these. And the second thing I would do is I would bring in a really good finance person at the start. Because if you've got, people are the most important part of a service product, a service-led business. And you know, you need to upskill them. So you hire well, but then you've got to train them and retain them as well. So yeah. if you're, and you can't do everything. So if I'm going out and selling and you've hired someone and you just expect them to know what you know, well, you just said that you don't know what you don't know. So you could be sitting there and saying, I need this, 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 and this. And the guy could be sitting thinking, I don't know what that is, or I don't know how to do that. So that learning and development function and someone being able to take what I've got in my mind out and put it into somebody and say, this is how we're going to train you. We're going to train you the same way as Steve. So the L&D function, really important. And definitely the finance, um, bringing in like a, an FD or an FC at the start of Sammy Knight's journey, because that would make my life so much easier. Which is such a big decision, right? Because those higher value type roles, yeah. we know that people struggle to make the decision and when to bring the resource in and, and also looking at cash flow. How when can you afford to do that? Yeah. And you know, this is I mean, you've scaled this business in such a manner. I think it's something that would I'd like to delve into a little mm -hmm. bit around that journey of scale. But also you're scaling and in your model, and it'd be interesting to find out a bit more about yeah. how you say that, but your model often you'll get contracting, it require the bigger the business gets, the more people you have to bring in. Yeah. And you know, certainly we've looked at our business model. One of the reasons we built the platform was so that we had some some other forms of revenue that wasn't reliant on us just employing more staff. Yeah. What's your have you got? any sort of words of wisdom around looking at how that scale in a business, which does, you know, you're almost bringing up your fixed cost as your, as your, as your revenue goes in. How do you, how do you make sure that that doesn't just become bums on seats, winner contract bums on seats? Um, I mean, look, there's a lot of things that are automated nowadays. So if I look at some of the big companies out there, and I know this because obviously I've been in the industry for 20 years, 
nine times out of ten, you know, you can have a, you, a, a recruitment company can sit there and have four thousand staff, but only twenty percent of them or thirty percent of them generate actual Billing. profit for them. And I'll probably guess my bottom dollar. That's quite the case for a lot of service-led businesses. And you think that the number of staff that you employ equally makes you be successful, but that's not actually the case because, you know, it is about being a profitable business and and being able to get the best out of everybody that you employ. So, you know, for me, if I, if I think about that and I think about the staff that we've employed and where that profitability comes from, that's helped us um, scale as well. So I suppose what you're saying is, is like, it's keeping your eye on productivity and yeah. people being profitable rather than just, because we do it as you scale quickly. Often yeah. people make the mistakes of like bringing in people that don't necessarily aren't chargeable or you, or that they don't hit the bottom line. And you do get eventually get to a point where you've got to bring in additional resources that maybe you can't aren't chargeable, but they then still have to have an impact and yeah. making sure that they're, they're you can automate, you can automate a lot of things as well mm-hmm. nowadays, especially in service led businesses. You know, you don't have to hire a lot of people to generate revenue. Your economy of scale that you get in an organization after, say, five, six years doesn't necessarily have to be because, you know, you've got, oh, I need to hire that one person to deliver to that. It's different for different markets. Um, you can you can deliver to a lot of the work if you've built the right foundations of the business. You know, if I think about our global community, now it's touching nearly 2.2 million people purely in the renewable sector. So we don't need a lot of we don't need to hire a lot of people just to put a bum on a seat to yeah. think, oh, well, we might get a return on that person because we may as well hire, stick with the team that we've got and allow them to maximize revenue potential, earning potential and profitability potential by them just using the systems and the processes that we've got in place. It doesn't necessarily have to, oh, you know, we want a new contract. We need to go and hire another five people. At the start, obviously, it was a bit like that. There's where, more creative ways now to yeah, be able yeah, to yeah, exactly, add that. Yeah that resource and the the different fill the gaps of that absolutely talk to us a little bit about then at what point did you realize that investment was a route you wanted to go down and talk us through that i mean i know you touched a little bit on the start of that but talk us a bit about that journey well we'd started doing contract recruitment we started the business as a perm then we went into contract and that that contract model locks in working capital so growing, trying to grow organically while your working capital is locked, and this could be locked for, say, 60 to 90 days, yeah. even though you've got the debt facility, you kind of sit and think, well, this is going to take me a long time to scale here because I'm literally running on the back of waiting for clients to pay me. But by the time clients have paid me, I've already got another few contractors out there and I've got to wait for them. So you never actually see the benefit of that profit in that project, let's say, in contract work until the contract finishes and the money washes yeah. through. And I, I wanted launch the, I want, I've, I did want to launch Samuel Knight in the USA um, because there was such a huge market over there. And in, in all fairness, the, the people in the business at the time to, to elevate it to the next level, I needed some support of knowing how, what, what good looks like, what great looks like in a business. Cause at this point of me raise, of, of saying, right, I want to raise some investment. It was kind of like, right, I know I've got something here. I've got something really, I've got, a, I've got a special business here. I've got something that could, I could really scale. And my level of experience when I set the business up is I was more sales focused. As we've said, you know, through my patterns, I was sales, sales, sales. I wouldn't necessarily say at that stage I knew how to scale a business. There was a lot of luck in Samuel Knight scaling, and that's me being completely honest. Um, we won work 
and we won some good work off the back of me being a good salesperson. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I had the ability to scale the business. It kind of scaled on its own. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, but I knew at this point, you know, there was 45, 50 people in the business and I could, the, the, it wasn't going to just build on luck. Yeah. I needed experience. I needed a board of directors. Um, and that institutional investment, I remember just, I didn't really know what I was doing, if I'm honest. It's a fact. I, I reached out to somebody and I said, oh, like, I'm thinking about, like, raising investment. I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah. And I didn't really know the difference between different investment funds. I got, I, I remember reading Dummies for Raising Finance and, uh, I think I read a book off um, off Amazon, off Audible, What Harvard Doesn't Teach You About Finance. And it was a great read. Uh, well, it was an, obviously an Audible book. And um, I created this, um, this kind of business pack, um, like an IM document. Mm. And I just Googled um, investors, didn't know which one I was going to contact. And I literally just sent this IM document to every single company that came up on Google. There was about 50 companies and I got bit back from, I don't know, probably about 25. So I had a lot of meetings, wow. but I didn't really know what I was talking about. Yeah. I was just telling them about my business and saying, right, so that's my business. How can you help me? And they were like, yeah. you've got something here, but like, you need to go and see corporate finance. You've got to build a business plan. And I'm like, I didn't even really know what a business plan was. In my days, a business plan, like I thought a business plan was just write down some shit and just say, I'm going to do this. This is my business plan. And this is how we're going to change the world. <laughs> and it's not, it's like an Excel spreadsheet with like yeah. 10 years worth of paying over <laughs> pinch points in the business. I was like, how am I going to do that, man? I was like, oh, it's none of your dominant just... patterns. No. <laughs> so, and, and then you look, shy buyers getting out. So yeah. I just asked as many people as I could. And, um, one individual, as I say, introduced me to the guy who I'd gone and seen a week before. He happens to be my chairman now. So it's funny how the, the universe works, but the first initial conversation, I just literally, I can't remember what I put into Newcastle, but I ended up having a meeting with UNW and Paul Kaiser was at UNW and, uh, he sat down. I remember it being Friday and I said, Oh, we, we, I've dressed down Fridays. Do you mind if I come in a like pair of jeans and a t-shirt? And he was like, well, it's fine. Whatever, Steve. And I was like, okay, great. I'm really looking forward to meeting you thinking, right, I'm just going to do a big sell on him. And when I got there, he's like this, you know, 65 year old man that's seen all of it before. And he knows what great looks like. And he knows what bullshit looks like. And I think at the time I was trying to bullshit. And say, oh, <laughs> the sales partner didn't work. Yeah, no, I didn't know. He said, right, I'll give you an hour. And after about an hour, he was like, um, I mean, look, it was all over the place. The business was all over the place. We were trading all over the place. We we had a strategy, a sales strategy, but we didn't really have a business strategy. We didn't have a board. Mm. You know, the management team was me and <laughs> people had been promoted into associate director's roles because they were my friends and, you know, they'd been loyal to me. Mm. And I'd obviously been honest with him about that. Um, and he's just like, I'll tell you what, Steve, you're obviously a very personable, likable guy, but you're not ready. Come back in like 12 to 18 months give me a few pointers and said, fix this, 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 and this. But obviously at the same time, I'd emailed 25 institutional investors and one of them institutional investors, the guy came back and was like, um, he basically turned around and he was like, oh, look, I actually know a really good corporate finance company in Newcastle. 
I'm going to introduce you to him and I want you to go and meet with him because I like what you've put down here. Obviously, they'd seen the success with a few other recruitment companies in the Northeast. And um, he's like, look, I'll introduce you. So this lad called Steve sent this email and he'd emailed Paul Kaiser with my IM document. And he was like, motherfucker, he's not going to <laughs> He's back. It's him again. <laughs> so a week later, I'm not joking. Listen, this is fact. This is why I, I, I honestly believe that like the universe and I believe in fate and I believe that this is just something that you know that's just it's, it's just gonna happen but a week later i'm sitting there with paul kaiser and i go in and meet with him and he's like you literally like i told you go away you weren't ready and a week later you've you've emailed personally emailed the investment director of one of the biggest institution investment companies in london and you've got a meeting with me and i was like i'm not gonna stop uh, like, I want to know how to raise institution investment. Do you know what's really lovely about this? It's not, and it's linked to your patterns, but it's also, we, when we deliver some stuff around this, but it's around, like, sometimes we talk about people having belief in themselves and this, and sometimes fear can stop you from doing stuff and reaching your full potential. Yeah. You definitely don't suffer from fear of fear. No, 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 absolutely But there's an awful lot of people who do hold themselves back through fear of what might happen. Mm -hmm. This, the way you describe your, it's not just a go-get, go-get attitude. It's like, if, like, you you believe it's going to work. So when, so when you go for those reach outs to, to do that, even though you know that I'm not that experienced, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm still going to do the reach out. It's such a, it's such an interesting thing. There'll be a lot of people listening who'll be thinking, God, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that ballsy. I wish I could just send the email or, or, or go and have the meeting because sometimes we're, we're so fear of what the outcome might be that it stops us from taking the mm. risk of doing it. And I think you probably, maybe you don't even appreciate that, that you have that so strongly. It's this, just go and give it a go. And actually, if it doesn't, if, if you get knocked back on one week, it'll go But, but go that's the thing, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Totally. And I, I, I remember reading something, I've always been a big fan of reading that, on the other side of fear is opportunity. Absolutely. And I never, ever forget that saying. It's like, it's embedded in me. So I always think to myself, the worst thing that can possibly happen is someone says no, or it doesn't work. Well, that's fine. Cause I'll just brush myself off and I'll find a way that does make it work. So, you know, I, I do believe that I, I do believe, and I am fearless. And I think, you know, if you have that in you, there's, there's nothing that can happen. There's just crack on. Well, you haven't got it anyway. Like that's the exactly. thing. You haven't got it anyway no. because so you're not going to lose anything. I mean, fear is a, a really lovely, interesting subject. That's probably for another podcast. But I think you know, for people listening, like if you want to go and do something and it, something that you can't put your finger on is holding you back, then just go and do it. Mm-hmm. Go and reach out, make the knock on the door, make the contact, ask for the help because you've been on a massive journey and mm-hmm. that journey's had lots of different chapters to it. And every day is a school day, as they say, you know, you're always learning and evolving, but you've got to not be afraid to ask the question or, or put yourself out there. And I think, totally yeah, it's, um, it's quite, I mean, you've had some remarkable achievements off the back of being like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's. I've also, I've also caused a lot of destruction. Yeah. And with that, when you've got that dis- disruptor mentality, yeah. And that almost like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, there's an offset to that, isn't there? There's like that risk piece isn't there. So sometimes bad things happen or things happen that you don't anticipate. But the fear thing, I mean, we use this sort of phrase and it kind of messes with your head a little bit. But it's like we say to people, like the thing that you're scared of, you usually live in the fear by being scared of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're scared of being rejected, 
and not getting whatever it is that you want to get, yeah. well, you're not getting it by not doing it. Yeah. So you're living the fear anyway. So you might as well just go through it and do it anyway. It, it, you know, again, I'll say fear, on the other side of fear is opportunity. Everything that I've, and I, I, I am fearless, but I have been in situations in throughout my career where obviously I've had that little butterfly in my stomach. I don't know if it's excitement because I know I'm going into something that maybe I shouldn't or it's anxiety because both feelings are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've done things where I've thought, oh, God, I hope this works out. Like, but I've only said it to myself, and then in my head, I've gone, "Just give your head a wobble, mate. Just do it." And and I've and I've gone and done it. And it's it's there's been situations where it's been hard, but I've I've I think I'm not sure if I said this, but I've got this same where everything will be fine. It's yeah. okay. Everything will be fine. There's nothing that can like there's there's nothing bad gonna come from this situation. It'll either work or it won't work. And if it doesn't work, well, at least I tried it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it does always work because there is opportunity there. I remember launching Samuel Night USA in the middle of COVID. And imagine saying that to a board of directors, a brand new institutional investor. They'd only been in the business for a year, a pandemic hits. I can see that the UK business is going to plateau, potentially start losing money. And three months into a global pandemic, I turn around in the board meeting while we're all working teams remotely around the UK and I go... I'm going to launch Samuel Knight USA. And they're going, what on earth are you thinking about? Like you're going to launch a new business in the middle of a global pandemic when we should just be consolidating costs and buckling down and putting the hatchet down and saying, we're going to, we're just going to ride this out. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not me. I'm not riding anything out. I'm going for it. I'm running into this storm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not running away from it. I'm going into it. And um, so saying that to a board and then a bunch of institutional investors, and then in my mind, I'll say this now because it worked. But in, at the time I was thinking, fucking hell, this is really risky, man. What am I doing? And I was just thinking, well, do you know what? I'm probably, if I don't do anything, I'm probably going to lose my business anyway because COVID is going to kill Sam United. It probably wouldn't have been that dramatic, but it would have hurt us a lot. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I either do something and I, and, I, and I go and I run at this storm and I take it on head on and I, and I go full on head first or I, run, I try and run away from it and I just think, oh, well, I just hope that it'll be okay. So, so I did, you know, I launched Samuel Knight USA, but at the time the fear was there, it was still inside me and I was still thinking, shit, this might not work. It might not work, but it did work. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really lovely thing to wrap up on. But a last question for you, if you had to say, if you were looking back over your whole journey, you had to look at one leadership behavior that you think you've exhibited and we've talked about many over the years of scaling, what do you think has been the most impactful on where the business is today? Being fearless. Right. Just yeah. being just being fearless, creating a fellowship and motivating people to believe in you and just really go for it. Because, uh, you know, I know throughout all of my journey as the CEO of Samuel Knight, if I've said we're going to do something, we've done it and it's always turned out fine sometimes you know it's taken a little bit longer to get to fine but it's always been fine so yeah Yeah. the fearless attitude and the motivation the guys always believe in that well thank you so much for joining us we've loved talking to you So let's look at some takeaways from a great conversation with Steve. The first has to be that piece about on the other side of fear is opportunity. And that question, this is a question for you if you're listening around 
what could you achieve if you didn't hold yourself back? And actually thinking about all of the things that you're striving for and actually what is the fear behind them and really what's the worst thing that can happen. So I think that's the first big piece from this episode. If you run a service-based business, you're essentially trading time for money. And there's this growth journey that to grow, you add heads or bums on seats. But it was really interesting in the conversation we had with Steve around making sure that you are getting maximum productivity out of the people that you've got before you just add more heads. That there's multiple ways to gain resource and scale outside of just adding another body. Think you can use things like automation, any of the tools that you use, technology, but also just about making sure that the capacity, and that's one of the things that we find in our clients when we go in and we do behavioral work with them, we're really looking at what that productivity and capacity looks like because it's often one of the areas that people struggle to forecast and work with, but making sure that you're maxed out from that perspective before you just add another head. So lastly, we talked about Steve's bias for action. He's high initiation from a behavioral perspective. And like a lot of entrepreneurs who have more of a bias towards that, he was focused on bringing the money in, growing the business, looking at different revenue streams and really just go, go, go driving forward. But what it's really important to do if you if you know that you've got that dominance from a behavioral perspective is making sure that you've got the infrastructure of risk and process and detail and operations behind to make sure that there's somebody there that are doing the essential operational things like making sure that the cash is coming in to be able to support all of the forward activity. Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes. 